0: Hey, welcome back. This is Pablo, your Chief Executive Connector, and this is one of those episodes of the podcast that was a intro call I took with someone that's absolutely fascinating. Her name is Andy Simon. She's a corporate anthropologist. She's a multiple-time author. She's an executive and a business leader in such places as Citigroup and other big-name spots like that. And we had a fascinating conversation about the changing dynamics for a woman in the workplace, our changing digital culture, and everything else around corporate anthropology, and seeing the future before it happens. You're going to love this one. Make sure you connect with Andy after this. Enjoy. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way, and in that, I can learn from him. This means every single person you've ever interacted with has done something slightly different than every single other person, and therefore has something to teach you, and you, my friend, have something to teach them. This means every conversation you have is both a chance to learn something and a chance to make an impact. Every room full of people you walk into is both a library and your stage. And the better you get at getting to know people, the value they each inherently bring, and how to share it with others, the greater the impact you can make on the world. My name is Pablo Gonzalez, and I've created a system called the Relationship Flywheel, designed to create impact through relationships at scale. And this podcast is a living document of how to do it. So hit subscribe right now. If you want to learn how to get to know people, get them to know you and build a world-class network some episodes will be interviews some episodes will be regular calls with people building rapport and some will be tactical advice to teach you how to build your own relationship flywheel and achieve anything you want now smash that subscribe button and let's get connected what have you done today? What's your, what's your what's your day been like? What's your week been like?
1: Oh, I had a four-hour workshop. I had a leadership academy for a client. Huh? And so I was working with them yesterday in a different group today. It's a healthcare client. And I've got several leadership academies that have grown up out of the work I do on culture change. And, uh, and strategy, because sometimes we are looking for how are we going to do it, and we ha- don't have the talent to do it yet. So that works really well. And then I had a wonderful conversation with women's business collaborative folks on entrepreneurship and capital, and we're putting together a session to better understand what organizations that our partners are doing so we don't duplicate them. And, and let's see, in between, I had a great conversation with Vancouver with a um, gentleman who was in my workshop Two weeks ago, who has a safety and uh, fire safety and security business and wants a blue ocean strategy. Other than that, I walked my dog. I am, I'm having a great day. I'm glad it's Friday, though, because we have a lot of work to do over the weekend for a program that we're developing. And so it's just, I don't know, every day is a long day and all the years fly by. You know the expression.
0: Where are you located? I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. How about yourself? About 40 miles north of Manhattan. Oh, okay. All right. Cool. Right along the Hudson. So what's uh, what's the name of the township there?
1: Uh Yorktown Heights.
0: Yorktown Heights, okay. I got a buddy from uh that lives in Sleepy Hollow.
1: Not far, a little yeah. south of us. A little um, south, of But we have an old farm. That it's an eighteen forty farmhouse and a barn, an outhouse, a cottage, and about eight acres. And so we sort of found a little niche for ourselves and uh we had horses when the kids were growing up, ponies and uh dogs and it's so the first time we have a dog now, thank you, COVID. So we've been out of dogs for 15 years, traveling too much, and year we didn't travel, so we got a dog, and we're having fun with the puppy.
0: That's awesome. That's us. We're, we're fanatical dog people in my house, so, you know, good luck walking past me without letting me scratch its head or its butt or something <laughs> like that.
1: They do get into your hearts. They are part of us. They're family. I didn't realize when my husband and I have a conversation, she sits down below us and gets angry. She powers us and whines. And I said, You're just like a child, you know? Really?
0: It's like a child that you can allow to play on the stairs or like (laughs) lock him in a room.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. So okay, terrific. What is your day like today? You asked me. Tell me oh, yours.
0: My, my day's been wonderful today. I, I started off, I actually watched the sunrise today on the beach. Did a little meditation and journaling. And then I had, a, I'm a part of these events called PodMax. That's uh-huh. like a one day podcasting, networking, mini conference thing where they pair podcasters and guests. And they have a really interesting business model. But I, the long story there is, I love networking with people that all have audiences, right? So I, I made a very strategic decision about two years ago that I was going to go to as many podcasting conferences as I could. And it now allows me to meet somebody interesting and put them on Radio Row, you know? So it's a, it's a value add to my life. So I've become friends with the guys that put that on. So I, I go to all of them and they give me a lot of love and it helps me add to my, you know, whatever. So I spent the first half of the day at PodMax then I actually keynoted at PodFest, which is a pod, like a person-to-person podcasting conference that I've been to that now is, did a virtual version today. So my business partner and I keynoted. And after that, I was going to handle some stuff. But an old friend of mine called me. It was a wonderful, wonderful call. He's, he was my financial advisor at one point, And uh, I became close friends with him. And you know, I don't, you know. so I lost my brother to pancreatic cancer six years ago. And his brother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer about a year ago. So I've been kind of counseling him, and it turns out his brother's cancer's in remission. So it was a that's really, really—that's
1: a gift. Thank you. Really good cancer. call to get. That's most yeah. unusual. It's a deadly dude. Wow.
0: Yeah. I'm yeah.
1: sorry about your brother, but it—it it is, <laughs> and it comes in—you don't even know it's there, and then it's gone. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's been a. Very fulfilling day for me, right? Like it's full of the stuff I like to do, which is connect. I still have a mountain of emails that I haven't responded to. And, you know, I'm I'm like rewriting the messaging on our website and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. just I'm generally in a really, really good season of my life and business. I've Mm -hmm. I've been now
1: you're a podcaster or you just like to go to podcast max and other places or
0: I'm a fanatical networker. And my mission is to create the category of relationship scaling. So anything, you know, I, I I approach anything that has to do with relationship building in a very systematic approach. And I have found that podcasting, making online content is the way you scale relationships, right? Like it is the kerosene you can put on the fire of, of relationship building. So I'm very involved in that world. And I don't know if you remember my presentation from PodMax. I've created this, not from PodMax, from JD's event, but I've created this methodology called the relationship flywheel Mm -hmm. and the way that I, you know, leverage a stage in order to drive relationships at scale and then repurpose the content is my B2B service that I, that I make a living off of. So part of it is podcasting, but it really is all within the framework of how you create relationships and nurture relationships and grow your audience.
1: So can I invite you to be on my podcast of talking about just that?
0: It would be an honor.
1: Well, I would be delighted. It's um, called On the Brink with Andy Simon. And I record one day a month. So April is my open day coming up. But I'll send you a note and we'll we'll pull you on because you're talking about... So On the Brink came out of my first book. It's called On the Brink, Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights. And it's about how do you see, feel, and think in new ways. Mm. It's about change. Mm. People hate change. And my job, my business has been built over helping people do what they hate to do, which is to change. And I used to say, if you want to change, have a crisis or create one. And I never expected COVID. Uh, But look at how nimble we've been. And there are many who have not been. We were talking last night about those who are resilient and creative. But so many people are are having trouble. But the question is, how do you adapt to changing times? We're humans. We've evolved. And part of that is changing our story and sharing a new one. And in some ways, your relationship it is about storytelling with others and building new stories. Because when I tell you my story, your brain changes. Yeah. And when you tell me your story, my brain uh, changes. And we need role models in our lives. We, if we can't see it, you can't be it. And so uh, that's part of what we did. And my new book is going gangbusters. Anything Smashing the Myths of Women in Business was designed to provide role models for women. Mm. So they can see what they can be, but also realize that part of what their life is, is changing our society. Yeah. And the um, women who are in the book have been transformative. They aren't heroes and not Sheryl Sandberg. They're just really good geoscientists and business people and entrepreneurs and lawyers. And they have just built great careers and had an impact on others along the way. And it's been a really cool. So it came out January 5th. So, we're in our second month, and Amazon does love us. so anyway, I, I have no idea where we're going today, but I'm sort of wondering with you because you would be a marvelous guest to talk about change and relationship building and networking, and how do you cultivate a world today because it's a whole different one
0: i listen i really I really appreciate the invite, and you know, like this is going to be a, a podcast episode for me, so I, I I would love to I would love to explore the topic of I love what you're doing and I very much echo with what you're saying of, you got to see it to be it. Right. And I think the beauty of the world that we live in right now is that mentorship has reached scale, right? Like living in a world of YouTube and living in a world where I can, you know, like I I had this moment about a year ago where I was listening to Steve Jobs's biography. and, And I started thinking about like the power of hearing somebody's, you know, hearing how somebody has navigated life and success and this and that, and then comparing it to the idea that right now I can listen daily to Gary Vaynerchuk's podcast and know everything he's doing in his business, real time, strategy, what he's doing. And, and I think that what you've done with this book of, of woman leaders is, you know, it's adding scale to, to the mentorship for women that for so long didn't have that archetype to follow. Right. So we need to tell those stories so that so that we can reach this, you know, ideal equality and, 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 and overcome these these obstacles that don't need to be there. Right. And this
1: is important for men to see women through a fresh 100%. lens or they can't imagine why they are um, equal. Um, 100%. And in even I mean, there's some article in The Times two weeks ago. Talking about even online, women and men are valued differently. And if a woman talks, they all say she talks too much. Man talks, he's very wise. And we can't win, can we? <laughs> it doesn't matter.
0: Listen, uh, I was very heavily shaped by, number one, I'm the most American person in my family. And I have a older sister who... You know the hispanic double standard is vicious, man and seeing that being applied my whole life as you know I'm a raging feminist as a result so I get it you know like I to the point that I can't I don't need a mansplain it, I feel like I empathize with the plight and and I'm absolutely an ally right so how did so so tell me about how did the change narrative become the 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 key narrative of your life before you focused it more on changing for women
1: well, it's always been i mean i it's a great question i When I discovered anthropology, I was in college. And then I went from Penn State to Columbia and studied with some of the very finest anthropologists. When I did my research, I was interested in immigrants and how they changed and how they took words and their culture and invented it for reinvented it for a new place. And then I took my daughters when they were four and five, went back to Greece to study how Greek women, what happens when you go back home? And you can't go home again. But I was particularly interested in Greek women and the power and control they have over their sons and daughters. And it was an interesting time for me to be there with my daughters because they were little ones. And it opened up lots of doors for conversations. When I came back, the topic that was of most interest to me was change. In fact, I did a CBS Sunrise semester called Reimagining, what do call it? A world uprooted in the paradoxes of modernization. And I had another one on the CBS program called A World Uprooted. Now, this was on, I can't remember, it was on change. And I happened to find the old brochure, because this is from way back in the 1970s. But it was, it's a theme that I just, people weren't studying it. Anthropologists studied static state. Most business schools were teaching static state. And I was fascinated by the outlier, which is change. It wasn't even think outside the box, it was create a new sandbox. And when you think about our whole society, it's been created in a very novel fashion. And sometimes the glue is uh, gluing apart, but, but it is quite remarkable. And then I went into business in 1981 as a consultant for Citibank. That's another story how I did that. But they wanted me to help them change. And they didn't really care what an anthropologist did. They really wanted help doing something they didn't know how to do, which is they had, you know, 200,000 people changing in a deregulated world. They didn't do it so well, but they they wanted to better understand how do we change our culture, how do we get people to sell and service, not simply attend. And so I spent fourteen years as a banker, executive of two banks, a consultant in one, and then I got into healthcare during managed care to help them change. And so as an executive into two healthcare systems, and then after nine eleven, I launched my business. And my PR firm said, "You're a corporate anthropologist who helps companies change," and I said, "That's who I am," and you got it. And that's my brand. So I haven't really gone very far from any place. I didn't rediscover it. And I have been working with clients who didn't really know what I did or why or how I did it. But what they needed was to change. So, you know, I picked up Markel Paper and I picked up Staten Island College and Atlantic Health System. And it was all about, you know, help us change. We don't know how to do that. And it's true. People don't. So that's my story.
0: And how about your story? How did you get here? Man, you know... As much as I'd love to tell you my story, I want to dive into yours. So since this is going to come out of my pot, if you don't mind, like if, you, if you'll indulge me. Uh, sure. I, I, So the subject of anthropology, there's a conversation that I've been dying to have with as many people as possible. And I think you might be the right person to have, have it with. right? So in, in reading The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene, there's a chapter called The Law of Generational Myopia where he talks about how being part of a generation, you know, affects you and whatnot. Right. And within it, he talks about this theory on human culture, kind of like progress about from like a 14th century Islamic scholar that talks about how we go through these cycles and these cycles have these four periods that correspond to four generations, Mm -hmm. first generation world is in chaos. It forges this generation of visionaries that lead us through this turmoil with these big ideals and ways to unite people through a struggle. The next generation is the peace-seeking generation, right? Like that we just went through this turmoil. What can we agree on? What can we all just kind of like let go? Let's establish a normal. Next generation is so removed from the struggle that they become individualistic, materialistic. I can get, why, why can't I just get a little extra here? Fourth generation is world is in chaos. We need a revolution. Revolutionary generation comes, right? As I have thought through this theory and I look at where we're at right now in the world, it's very clear that we're in generation four to generation one, right? And it's led me down a couple of paths. Number one, while watching the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, seeing exactly where we were 50 years ago. You know, the way that the story was told felt very similar to the conversations that are happening now, just a little bit down the sliding rule, right? And it drives me to think that maybe there is in culture, in generational change, maybe the answer is this reliance on intergenerational relationships so that while we are transferring context, we can still learn the lessons from the last time that this happened. And I kind of wanted to just lob that up and see what you thought about the whole thing from your standpoint. Have you have heard of anything like this? Have you kind of agreed? Let's, I would love to talk about that.
1: Well, you're raising a bunch of questions that are at least worth um, digging into a couple of things. One of which is, Anthro 101 is data doesn't exist. Out of context, it doesn't have any meaning. Second point is 75,000 years ago, we had a quantum leap in our brain so that things were no longer a thing. They had meaning. Hmm. And so, you know, a watch is a watch. Well, is it a watch or is it a Rolex watch or is it no longer a valuable watch? So we were able to give meaning to things. And the third part is in the absence of strong leadership, humans will find ways of organizing and following others. The rise of clubs, clans, tribes and tribalism hasn't gone away, but it's also the story of our success. And our success has come from telling stories from one generation to the next. Now it used to be that the story has created stability and today the technology and other changes are moving so quickly that you can almost not hold on to a story very long um, because we are environmentally driven there's nothing there that's stable and I don't care whether you believe in climate change or you don't. the climate is changing and you may or may not agree to... Having drones assess whether or not you have enough tomatoes that are ripe for picking, or you can look at the AI to know if you have enough water in the ground, but everything is changing. And, and so now the question is, what happens to humans in this process? Uh, the COVID, you know, I used to say, if you want to change, have a, a crisis or create one. People hate to change, but here COVID comes along and everybody is working remotely and enjoying it. We're figuring out how to have meetings virtually, and figuring them out. And, and then there are folks on the screen that aren't turning it on. So to your question about the generational changes, if it's all in the story, one of the problems is that the boomer generation, the Gen Xs, the Ys, the Zs, and those who follow need to share common stories, or they're actually living in different worlds. Remember, there is no reality in our minds. We learn a story as we're growing up. And by the time we're in our 20s, we have a pretty good story in our mind. And that mind is what we're gonna live. That story is our reality. There is no reality, just that story. The only truth is there's no truth. So if the boomers grew up in a different world and have a different reality, a different story, and their offspring they changed a little bit, but not as much as the gen the millennials. And think about, you know, growing up digital is completely different. Mm-hmm. And, and growing up with soccer is very different than going out and picking up a ball and having kick kickball out in the street. I mean, it, it's all very different. And then the Gen Zs have an eight second attention span. They can play video games and be do overs really well. And the college universities that we have as clients don't know quite what to do to train them. You know, they have to play games. So all of this is all different stories. Now, the different stories lead to different realities and the times are different. So the boomers are looking to figure out what they're going to do to retire. And the Gen Zs want to figure out how can they live life with having enough time for games? Very different values. I had one client had to buy ping pong tables for his new hires. He was very upset. He said, don't they know we work nine to five and then we play games? And they said to him, but why? And he said, because that's the way we do it. And they said, why? And so finally, they got him to play ping pong with them. And guess what? You can play ping pong in the middle of the day and still get your work done. And he learned new things. Sometimes I've had clients make their millennials or Gen Zs mentor the boomers or Gen Xers. So they begin to tell the same stories. Now, does that cycle get upset? I have a hunch that our realities are changing. And I have a hunch we're ready for some stability in the world right now. But I'm not sure you need a despot or a dictator to create it. And and I do think that values can go past 100 years. But this is a very complicated country. You think over the last 200 years that we've been around, it's a very short time in human history. And so I'm optimistic. But if you're not, you know, Churchill said, and pessimists sees the problems in every difficulty and optimists sees the the opportunities in every challenge. I think he's right. So the question is, how do you see the world? What's your story? What's your story?
0: I see the world from a very optimistic lens. Me right? too. I, I see opportunity everywhere. I, I I think you know COVID has very rapidly accelerated a bunch of stuff that was happening. You know, outside of the hospitality industry, the travel industry, and people's health being affected, everything else was. If you've been, if you had some foresight, you've been setting yourself up for COVID, right? Like I, I you know, 2020 is the best year of my life.
1: Yeah, me too. We've had a great year.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You know, and my and my. To answer your question, you know my story. My story is an immigrant story, right? Like my story is one where, as the most American person in my family, we moved here from Venezuela. I I enrolled in preschool as the only kid that didn't speak English, and I learned English very quickly. And we moved to Spain a year later, where I enrolled in a British school, thinking that I knew Spanish and English, but did not understand the Spanish dialect or the British dialect. So (laughs) I've, I've, you know, had this outsider perspective of the world. That I think has led to me being a really good communicator, and somebody that always drives for belonging and 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 having people belong is really at at the center point of my story. So, now remember.
1: I remember, um, yeah, yeah, you know,
0: I yeah. think so. I think so. I've always been very adaptable, right? Like I, you know, now now that I'm 40, my sense of self is very well established. But these last three four years back to your point right we need to sh- to to if you want to change have a crisis or create one i i realized about 2 years ago that my brother's passing is really what's driving everything that i'm doing right now mm-hmm. and i didn't know that at first but i i have been purposefully putting myself in difficult situations in order to force myself to be able to change through the things that I saw, right? Like I've just come to terms with the idea that I've always had great expectations of myself and I've always had great expectations put on me. And I've always been good with that. I've been okay with it. I've just never been okay with the path that was expected to get to those great expectations. And it's been these last two, three years that I've been able to change that narrative around and forge the path that I want to get there. And now that I see the path, it's the first time that I really feel that I see myself fulfilling these expectations. And to go back to what you're saying, it's all the story I'm telling myself, right? So I am now telling myself the story that I know the path and I accept this expectation and I will be there soon. So, you know, on a very macro level, that's my story.
1: (laughs) But you know, and the way, so my new program comes out in May, it's called rethink your journey with Andy Simon comes out of the book. I want to work with women through a do it yourself program. And, and they can add coaching onto it, but it's grounded in the neurosciences and what we know about our stories. So if you want to change, you or a woman or anybody, you have a story in your mind that sees a reality, to your point, it's very appropriate, and you only see the things that conform to it. So we're very efficient at only seeing the story. And all the rest to your point is that you're finally coming to see the rest of the story. If you are going to change, you're gonna to have to change that story. You're gonna have to collaborate with your mind to begin to imagine the new, visualize it, and you know, go draw some pictures about what you think it could become. And then you, just, you know, once you've got that, now we always work on small wins to help you get there. Because it doesn't come by turning a battleship with an oar. It comes a little at a time where you are testing yourselves along the way. But your mind likes the familiar, not the unfamiliar. So, as you're working your way through this, the unfamiliar is becoming familiar, and you're going, ah, oh, I can do that. And it goes to pleasure, not pain. And you're finding, oh, this feels so good. And so, you're a perfect illustration of I can change. I can imagine a new me and actually make it happen. And it's exciting, isn't it?
0: It's extremely exciting, right? Like, I've been someone that has always, my 15 year career in the construction industry, I felt like I was always falling upwards, right? Like, I, I felt like I kept on, you know, I, Started off in this like executive and training program. I was running a $15 million division when I was 25 with 120 employees, started my own business, got acquired, went in house as director of sustainability, became a business developer. And I always all I could think to myself is how little I was learning or doing. Right. Like I, I don't know how to tell you how to put a building together. I'll tell you that right now after 15 years in construction. <laughs> but but you know, it and and how much meat I was leaving on the bone. And and nowadays where I've gone from this very systematic approach to figure out what I love doing that I think I'm really, really good at, figure out how to use that superpower to serve others, figure out how to monetize that that service in an authentic way that doesn't make me feel like I'm sacrificing who I am for it. And once, that, once I figured that piece out, now it's really just about How can I scale a business around this so that I can always be in my, in my zone of service and zone of genius. And I find myself working a thousand times harder than I ever did before. Yet I have 10 million times more energy and, and I'm, and I'm having a blast, right? Like you have purpose and you have passion and fun. Yeah. It is.
1: It's amazing. It's interesting listening to you because you're discovering this all on your own. And I work hard to help people do that. If you're going to change what you're doing by yourself can be uh, sometimes daunting. But the thing that troubled me is that lots of people are not having a fun trip through life. They have no purpose. They have no passion. They don't feel anything. They may be successful as a CPA or MBA, Mm -hmm. even an entrepreneur, but they are stalled or stuck And one thing that COVID has been very clear about is that bad luck moments will happen and they can happen more often than you might think. And so don't waste the day because it moves very fast. You know, what's the expression? Every day is very long and every year flies by, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So in your life, what has been a moment of crisis that drove you to change? Or have you needed it? Or have you not had it? Have you always been comfortable with change?
1: It's an interesting question. I'm a big believer in serendipity. And so, you know, I discovered anthropology by chance. And after I got my tenure, my husband was in banking at Citibank as an executive. And we had a cocktail party and he had a cocktail party. And, And I met a whole lot of Citibank executives who said, you should come help us change. It wasn't a crisis, but it was timely. My mother had just died. And, and, and I nursed her for a year, she had a brain tumor, but as I let go, it came along. And so the transition from one to what I was doing to the next was sort of timely. It sort of was, you know, I said nothing has meaning out of context. It had more meaning than just moving into and that was really cool for a while. And the banking was very gratifying in some ways, and very out of character in another. I'm an anthropologist. I'm a soft person, and here I'm doing all this hard stuff like your construction, and I did it quite well. But then when I got into healthcare to help it change, I realized that the healthcare went from a Jewish hospital to a Catholic hospital, and the cultures were so different that you got care in very different ways. And I, it was time to come back to where I was. 9-11, uh, I was in the hospital handling all the calls coming in for people searching for their loved ones. I can vividly remember sitting on the phone and knowing that I had nobody here at the hospital. It was really out of the, out of the area. It had prepared for overflow. But we, we, so the hearts, you broke. their hearts were broken and ours shared their broken hearts. And it was time. So each time it's sort of a catalyst to change. And so whether it was losing my mother or watching the buildings go down or realizing it was the right time to move to something new. And I've never been adverse to trying new stuff. I sort of like the journey. If it's unskilled, it's, it's un, un, un unformed, I'm perfectly happy beginning to form it. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But so far I've been very blessed. And slowly I've been moving through 20 years almost in business with a happy journey. The the new book has been an interesting catalyst to get the new program up and to move. I'm an executive coach, but to do more lifestyle coaching and, and to, and everything is sort of in this new place. And I don't want to say thank you COVID, but, but it's allowed. I've got more new friends through the virtual world. That I have never met and I never would have met. And yet I, there's not even enough time to relate to them to your relationship. I mean, JD is one of those people who is just a magical man. He's
0: brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, I very much resonate with, like, I'm just thinking about you and me right now. Like, I am I think you're awesome. And I'm, so, you know, when is, when would I have ever had the opportunity to establish this relationship? Yeah. It, it, if not for this rapid change that we all went through. And I think it's really, I'm very grateful for it, right? Like, I also recognize that I haven't been affected for it inordinately, like many people have, but I'm very, very grateful for it. I would love to you know to kind of pivot towards your your book and what you're doing now and related to kind of what you originally told me you said you went to Greece to study the dynamic of the matriarch and the influence on society there as a somebody that comes from the latin culture that has a lot of overlap there yes i see i see a double edged sword of that influence right like that influence is very strong and it's very it's very powerful, yet it is applied in my culture from a from a defensive position right like it's it's like guilting you into doing something like this and i and i and I wonder based on what you're doing now, the cross section of woman leaders and the old world methodology of Greek matriarchs versus this world's methodology of woman leadership. What is the overlap? What is the difference? You know, can you speak a little bit about that? That's a brilliant question.
1: You are really fascinating. (laughs) Nobody, nobody nobody has even my Greek friends, colleagues here have not asked me. So what I saw was that the Greek woman found ways to exert control and influence over particularly their sons. And they often did it in the world that they controlled, which is preparing food. And I had one woman who said, oh, I withhold the best part of a recipe to my son's wife so she can never make the X, Y, Z better than I did. He will never have a better meal with her than I could do. And that's sort of the, the subtlety and the power of trying to find a way to be influential and powerful in the absence of authority and control. And, and and so I was I was I, you, you had to be fascinated by the way in which they took what they had to create a way of managing a son. The daughters, they spoke much less of. They were they were like them. It's just fascinating to watch the difference. Oh, but the son was very special. And even if they lived in New York or Washington or someplace, they were still their sons. And their control was all in these subtleties. And I, I now you you want to tell me something about that. But today's woman, you know, forty six percent of the workforce are women. And you know a million women have lost their jobs, many of them black women. But they, And and part of the frustration is that there are more women graduating from college, more doctors who are women, more attorneys who are women, more accountants who are women. They're all coming out of school knowledgeable and skilled, and they can't get into the uh, corporate structure and get access to the power and prestige unless they play a different game. And it's becoming opening up those gates are beginning to open up. And they're beginning to migrate into them, but with great agility and very creative and very collaborative and different skill sets. One of the women in the book, Andy Kramer, tells the story of being on the compensation committee of her law firm. And she had been told as a kid never to be a lady lawyer. Lady lady lawyers never go anywhere. And, And on the compensation committee, she found that the men wrote their reviews. So they had all climbed the Empire State Building. They had saved the damsel in distress and saved the company a half a million dollars. The women would submit theirs and they told about how together with others, they put together a team to in fact, protect the client from ever having a $500 million loss. Completely different stories. The men got promoted and got raises. The women were very good workers. And they found it was very difficult to move up the ranks with the story that they created. But if they had told the Empire State story, I'm not sure it would have resonated either. It's very difficult. So what Andy Kramer trying to do is uh, address the gender bias in the workplace so that women don't have to do all the changes. They can be women who are successful and talented and bring in lots of business and do extremely well And not have to climb Empire State Buildings to save damsels in distress because they're not pirates and they're not bad guys. I mean, they are have a different place in our society, and they're doing really well at it. And we're slowly seeing an increase in the number of CEOs in Fortune 100 and 500, and the 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 gates are opening, and we're beginning to see people understand that talent is talent, and let's find ways of moving it. There's a gentleman I know, and he's got a staffing agency, and all the the women, all the people who do the recruiting are women and all the folks managing the offices are men. And so, and there, you know, there are 400,000 attorneys, but only 27% are in equity positions as partners. And there are 65% of all the accountants are women now. Small percentage are moving into the top tiers. Maybe we're filling the pipeline, but maybe those gates need to open up. And and they can't simply do it by managing the recipe that they're giving to the wives of the guys so that they go home and don't eat good food. That's, but you know, guys and gals are different. And and we are gonna have to find some bridges.
0: I totally agree. I think this that's really it's really eye-opening how you describe that. That that microcosm of how the Greek mother holds influence is a perfect illustration of, of what I was trying to express. So thank you for that. That's really, really powerful. Was and, it
1: the same in your culture? Oh yeah. I yeah. <laughs> <You> know, like,
0: <laughs> Just talk to my sister, right? Like, uh, my mom doesn't shut up about me, but you know, like which by the way, I'm awesome. But you know, that's the story I tell myself because I've been enabled the whole life. Right. Well yeah.
1: Uh, she's right, but uh, it's uh, your poor sister. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: my poor sister. Right? She, can she. Listen, I, I, my sister is one of the greatest, most positive influences in my life, and I adore her to pieces. Right? And and I'm so shaped by her experience that it's it's impossible not to not to count this as a tribute to her. But you know, with, within all that, that's what taught me the value of the feminine perspective. Right? Like the the idea that we are two parts of a coin, and I see the world today, and I think of women like Brene Brown, who, is, who are one of my major, major heroes, and how she talks about how we're moving towards this power with dynamic, yes. which I very much agree with. Right? Like I, I, I very much believe this. in In a digital world where attention and supply and demand are all commoditized, the only way you're going to win is by creating community and by creating win win scenarios for the people that you serve together. And, and we're moving away from power over and i believe that women are very well positioned from the way that they've been whether it's nature or nurture right but but from from the way that women approach it from the stories that you're saying this team that we put this together they're very well positioned to be our stewards into the future and 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 it's going to and it's going to get corrected and i and i happen to believe that the internet and this proliferation of information and 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 lack of gatekeepers of inf- information is the light right? Like it's, it is what shines light in every crevice so yeah. that you can't be a creep and win. You have to win power with, yeah. right? So I'm very optimistic about the future influence of women on mankind, future leadership, you know, call this, call this the female generation or the female hundred years that's about to happen, right? The same way we just had an American generation. I I, I see it coming and I'm, I'm very excited for the future of it. I think it's, I, I agree with
1: you. I also worry about whether it's men. Or, uh, the uh, humans are interesting creatures, and they protect things they think have value. Yes. And uh, the fact that a woman can do it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to let her. Yeah. And 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 the rivalry is difficult to change. And without getting down to the children, to begin to show them a different way of relating, and you know, there's some classic research where you give girls and boys blocks, and the girls build a, a kitchen and and have a child and and play games around being mothers, and the guys build a fort and are for pirates and want to go steal the 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 the, the women, and, and there's a whole lot of of long. Held cultural beliefs about how boys and girls are, and uh, you know the the girls in in elementary and high school do far better than the guys, but they think the guys are smarter. Uh, There are all kinds of things that are in the way of really seeing each other for what we are, as opposed to the story in our head that makes us heroes or or not. And it's hard. It's just it's going to be a very challenging hundred years.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and, you know, you think about. You think about what that Greek mother has to resort to to maintain her influence. And you think about if men who have had this power and have had just this inherently given power, you start to take away that influence and they're going to have to resort to these defensive, you know, like tactics. How does that manifest? I mean, we're seeing that right now, right? Like, I think that that's why we had this last president, right? (laughs) It's pretty obvious That's
1: exactly correct. And they don't know how to, they don't know an option. So they come swinging.
0: Yeah. Yeah, correct.
1: And they do what boys know how to do, which is swing.
0: Which is swing, one hundred percent.
1: But these are interesting times. May you live in them.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. These are interesting times. May you live in them. I, I, hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. I, th- I think we are living in the most fascinating. You said something earlier that is, it made me think of. Are, have you ever heard of the discipline of category design, and category creation, and category king stuff like that type no, of I stuff? No, I
1: really haven't.
0: You said something along the lines of creating your own space instead of competing for one or, you know, carving out your own niche or it's that, right? Like it's this idea that there is, if, if, if you can differentiate yourself enough, right? Like it's, it's a difference between competing and establishing yourself. You know, if you can differentiate yourself enough and create your own category and execute that correctly, then you stand to win 75% of the market, you know, of that category, right? So like Google, Uber, Netflix, Facebook, right? Like those are all, those are all legendary categories. And Apple was like a continuous category creator. Yes, and sir. and it's a really, really interesting discipline. And I think the rapid rate of change of things that are happening right now allow for, and, and you know, so if you look at like the S&P 500 and you look at, you know, the, the income in the S&P 500 and the growth in market cap in the S&P 500, it's like maybe 20% of them are actual category creators, yet they drive like 65% of the market capitalization growth. Mm-hmm. And so with all this rapid rates of change and these these opportunities to create new categories within all this change it's, it's, it's a great economic time, right? Like it's a, it's a time of prosperity. Like I, I I just, it's Mm -hmm. never, the world has never been more abundant and the ability for somebody that had nothing to start making a million bucks a year by selling on Amazon or, you know, like the, like I I, 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 I was, I was in the, you know, I was in the e-commerce space for a little while and I went to this Amazon conference. There was this guy from, from Nepal who was just like, yeah, my sister makes the most amazing yoga mats, and I'm here to figure out how to like raise my village out of poverty. And I'm like, this has never been possible until now. That's right. Right? So, yeah, it's, it's interesting times, right?
1: Well, uh, but you're talking about the opportunities. That it's a very interesting time. So I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday in my workshop, and we were talking about reentry. And it's going to be important to understand as we re-enter post-COVID, what we go back to, what we don't, what we hold on to, because it's an illusion how good it was. Sure. And that that's the dream. It's always the immigrant who left what was behind, how beautiful it was until they go home again and say, that wasn't so pretty. And, and we can't go back home again to see it wasn't so pretty. And so I've got one client and his entire office is remote and He's got a beautiful office and he wants them to come back and they don't want to drive two hours a day to be in an office. They're getting much more done at home. They're actually having time. You know, is it a blended life? It's much it's not easy, but it wasn't before either. And so going back isn't necessarily a panacea for the challenges, but there are new values emerging and how we get things done. Your relationships are important because they're different and they're new, and they come in transactional ways or different. In any event, you and I can't take a walk down the road and and enjoy the the, the evening.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think. Have you studied the Roaring Twenties at all? Like, have you yeah. have you has anybody brought up the link between prohibition and and the Spanish flu and the Roaring Twenties and how? We and, may be, after this, going into a period akin to the Roaring Twenties. Is that Well, I'm
1: a futurist. People say, oh, you're a futurist. Our podcast was ranked in the top 20 futurists. And I'm just setting up a, a small group for a women's media group on the future. If we imagine it, it will happen. So if you read about it and you say it often enough, you're going to begin to see elements of the Roaring Twenties roaring back again. Whatever that was, because we don't know what it was. We just know what the the legacy of it is or the legend of it is. But man, are we going to be ready to party? You want to be the great Gatsby? We're ready for you. You know, big parties and lots of liquor. And listen, liquor sales are up 300%, practically 240%. During this, people are drinking far better wine at home than they ever had in the restaurants. So in some ways, the roaring 20s are already roaring. They're just in the house instead of out in public, but there's something that's gonna come, and if you want to name it that that's fine <laughs> um but remember that the um thirties followed the twenties right
0: correct, correct right it's all cyclical right so i i you know i i i you said yeah, I mean it's to me it's it's the i've never I've never gone down this rabbit hole, and i and I don't know much about the field of futurism, but I'm interested in it. And if I were to right now think about what futurism is, I would summarize it as pattern recognition from the past being contextualized (laughs) to a new reality.
1: That's not bad. We try to free yourself from the story of the past because remember, your mind is very selective. It only sees the stuff from the past that fit the story that you had. And so you really don't have all the stuff from the past anyhow. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you're a good listener, and you are, you're intuitively a futurist because you're looking for the trends and the dots that are coming. You know, you go to the PodMax and you're listening for dots. You're looking for dot points. If you put up a whiteboard and you spent your day putting all the signs up, you could begin to see what's coming. You could see trend lines. Every time I do a radio interview, I go, I'd much rather do a podcast interview. You know, I can feel what was. I've done TV interviews. I'm, this is a new media that I find more engaging than the short span on an old media, you can begin to see the trends that are are moving. But you know what's coming next, we don't really know. But we know that the fourth industrial revolution is here. The robots haven't really taken off to the degree we thought, but they are three million of them or so. You know, I was in a hospital parking lot, and the security guard was a robot. You know, it's it's you know what can drones do? Autonomous vehicles. Ford has a whole city that's learning autonomous vehicle stuff. I had one guy say, oh, that'll never happen. I said, they're already happening. They're driving mm-hmm. from Texas to California and they have a flesh bag in the truck and that person isn't driving the truck, they have a flesh bag just to make sure it's all okay. So, you know, what's the future gonna bring? Mm-hmm. I could say difference, new, it's already here. You've just went through a, an accelerated time, but think of how much we've been able to do, but also the side, the dysfunctional part. You know, mental health issues, suicide, loneliness. People are wondering, do they belong? They have no well-being. There's a whole abundance of behavioral and mental health issues. They were coming. They've been accelerated. But now we have a whole lot of, of stuff to work with to see it coming next in a neighborhood near you. Uh, I don't know if Mr. Rogers is going to come back, but will be you be my friend? We don't have to walk down the street to see each other. We can just podcast a little bit and have fun. It's a new world. It's almost really all here.
0: My answer is yes, I will be your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Is it Andrea or Andrea?
1: Well, it's Andrea, except my mother would call me that when she was angry. So often I'm Andy Andy. and my husband's also an Andy. And so we're two Andys.
0: I love it. I love it. Andy, where do, you know, somebody listening to this podcast, where do they look you up? Where do they find you? What's, What's the best place to go to connect with you or hire you or,
1: you know? Super duper. Thank you for asking. My a book and my program website is andysimon.com. That's A N D I S I M O N, andysimon.com. And our business is Simon Associates Management Consultants. And then you can learn a whole lot about how a little anthropology can help your business grow. We're also blue ocean strategists and innovation games facilitators. We have some tools in our toolkit. But by and large, we help people change. So you can read a whole lot of blogs and white papers and videos and Simon Associates is, if you're curious there. And Andy Simon is the place to go if you want a free chapter in my book. And both books are there. And I'm always I'm always fascinated by book and book publishing because you create it and then it has a life of its own. Yeah. And, and I'm in awe of the life that this new book is creating as people are reading it and saying, oh, my gosh. One reviewer said, I'll share this, I now have a book I can give to my seventeen-year-old daughter, who's a minority, and she doesn't see all this plastic bag floating around with false hope. Here are eleven women who actually did it, and she can see it, so she can believe it. And I went, "Yes, that's what we're all about." So, thanks. What's mama.
0: What's the title of the last book? Because I want to send it to my nieces and my and I want to.
1: rethink, 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 smashing the myths of women in business. But you do rethink, Andy Simon, and it will be there. Love and it. Barnes and Noble has it, local booksellers, Goodreads, and Amazon. And it's an Audible, an ebook, and a hardcover.
0: All flavors. Right on. I love it. I love it. Andy, you know, one of this has been kind of a different. I do a couple different formats of podcast interview, right? One that's more structured and one that's more conversational. But I always like to I always like to ask somebody the last question is where do you find community?
1: You know, I have you, I think you have to build and maintain and nourish community. And so I have realized, I'll use my book launch party as an example. I had 350 people register for the book launch, and I was totally honored by it. But you could see the communities. So closest to us, we had our family from across the country come on both sides of the family. And then we had friends who are old friends and new friends and friends who've come from my thought leadership roundtable that I was joined during the pandemic and then friends from Vistage and then friends from my clients and then my clients brought friends and then people who and so as you think about it it was and then we went out to the internet and I had a bunch of new friends who have uh, set up appointments to talk to me bought the book, reviewed the book, sent me all kinds of chats about how they love the, the thing. And then I have the Women's Business Collaborative, an organization I'm very proud of that I'm a vice chair of the advisory council, but it's 250 folks who are all trying to help women become you know, the best they can be in business. And that's led to new friends who have led to others. And all I can tell you is that the world is a um, very rich place now for communities And they don't necessarily have to overlap. I do think that it's hard to uh, necessarily bring them together. I don't think I could have had a party in person with 350 people that would have been as much fun for them or for us as being able to do a remote one. People said to me, what's the book launch? I said, I have no idea. I'm making it up. And that's exactly the kind of life I've led where I have no idea what a corporate anthropologist does, but I help companies change. Let's go for it. And so That's a little bit like my story.
0: Love it. Thank you. This is this is awesome. I'm super happy we did this, right? Like I very like I it's just a perfect end to my week. Like I so nourishing and such a great conversation. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Pablo. The key to building your relationship flywheel will rely in your ability to design and build your own stage where you can have conversations with people, getting to know them, understanding their value, and sharing it to the world. This is the service that I offer. And I offer it to $100 million companies where we're setting record-breaking sales goals with it. If you want to know more about that, go to connectwithpablo.com. If you're just an individual that wants to build it, subscribe to this podcast And subscribe to my email list on my website because coming soon is a community where I'm going to teach this to you personally. Go to connectwithpablo.com.